Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here. To everyone in Bowmanville, Port Perry, in Ontario, and around the world, welcome to another in our series on spiritual gifts. Last week, for the first time, my wife and I did the March break thing with our kids, and we went to the most wonderful place on earth, Disney World. It was epic and awesome. And uh, we had lied to our children for almost a year, which was excellent because uh, they didn't know that their best friends that moved away for three and a half years ago were coming. And so we introduced them to their best friends at 10 o'clock at night. They were so shocked. They had no voice. It was a miracle. There was no screaming. I just never heard silence uh, in my life. And, uh, but as we were the following day in a two and a half hour line for Pandora's flight, which by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, is the best ride I've ever been on in three continents in my life. As I was sitting in the line for two and a half hours, I was watching all these people walk by me because they had something called a fast pass and I did not have a fast pass. And a fast pass moves your two and a half hour experience to a five and a half minute experience. And so as we were sitting with three children, six children, sorry, under 11, waiting to get to this epic ride we had been told was worth the wait, all these people just kept walking by us and smiling. And we weren't smiling so much, love, joy, peace, patience. And I thought in that moment, genuinely, oh, this is a great illustration for when I come back and preach. Because I said, what a beautiful example again about gift versus discipline. Fast pass versus waiting in the line. We ended up with the same place in the same ride, having the same experience. But the person who had the fast pass, it happened quicker and it was, was way more easy. And the person who did not have the fast pass, it took time. That's the difference between gift, right, and discipline. Much of the gifts, not all of them, much of the gifts, of course, can become disciplines. We're all called to have faith, but some have the gift of faith. And so it's like you got a fast pass in the area and the rest of us are sort of two hours behind and we'll eventually get there, but you're there quicker. And it's so critical that we teach this and understand this because it's teaching interdependence and using the guaranteed places of power to serve in. Now we're in week nine in our spiritual gifts journey. This is the third and the last of this journey to build a common script again for our church, the understanding of what spiritual gifts are, what they look like, and how we choose to culturally use them in the context of this local church. Now we're going to focus on another three gifts today. They're all found in the power area. We're going to talk about healing today, words of of knowledge and words of wisdom. Not controversial at all. It's going to be a really boring sermon. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, now to each one the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge. And later it reads, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Now, before we get into all three specific gifts, let's ask the question about healing in general. Why do we want healing? Why do we need healing? And the answer is we're all broken, and we live in a world that is full of brokenness. Failed dreams, many people feel untouched or unwanted. There's sickness, there's disease, there's war, there's question, there's injustice, there's, there's economic disparity, there's racism. And then, of course, there is what we will all face, death itself. And, and, our, and our suffering is expressed physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, and spiritually. And all has its roots found in the relational breakdown between ourselves, others, and especially God himself. All this was started so long ago in a lost garden at the fall when Adam and Eve chose rebellion and independence over God and they sinned. And as God had said, death entered into our experience. Thus sickness and brokenness and suffering was introduced into the created order and sin 
unmarred what God had declared as good and creation, not just us, creation itself has lived in a perpetual state of frustration ever since. This, this brokenness comes with many forms and, and many streams. It forms sort of like a great river that floods over the good, the bad, the evil, the religious, the not religious. Never forget also the Bible is clear that Satan is not mythology. Satan and the demonic are real. They're involved personally and, and nationally and globally and bringing and perpetuating suffering in the personal lives and in the world. And then there's our ongoing sinful choices where we continue the contract that Adam and Eve started. We're not islands and our choices are not done in vacuums. Our actions affect other people, others, ourselves, the world, and all the suffering and the war and the abuse and the injustice and family breakdown and unforgiveness. Much, if not all of it, is connected back to a sinful choice where a person, a nation, a community, a government, or a business, fill in the blank, decides to break God's heart and God's law, which brings death to others. And then we turn around as human beings and cry to God, why don't you do something about this terrible myth? Why do you allow all of this and he says hold on a second but this is what you chose and this is what you wanted and by the way God would say to us too and if I came and removed your choice and made you more like a robot you would resist me even more because every human being wants nothing to do with slavery and actually we're made in the image of God and being, be, being made in the image of God implies that we actually have choice. And so we as the human family continue to choose and many of our choices bring so much darkness and we turn around and blame God for that, but actually we're the one holding the gun in our hand. But that's not the end of the story. God doesn't just leave us to our own devices in our own moment. Through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he walks back into our darkness and brokenness, and he overcame death, and he's forgiven sin, and he's broken the back of Satan, and now he's starting to reverse and re-engineer history. Listen again to the grand promise 740 years before Jesus came that predicted his coming and what he would do. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he will take up our pain. He will bear our sufferings. Yet we're considered by him, we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, what? We are, say it together, healed. Now, each time someone meets God through Jesus, because that's the only way back to God, there is healing. And when is the full experience of by his wounds we will be healed actually experienced? It's called the physical resurrection. There is guaranteed healing, and it's called the resurrection. When we die, when Jesus comes back, we will be raised from the dead just like Jesus was, and we will have the same body he had. That's the goal and the hope of our whole faith. 1 Corinthians 15:42. So will Will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown perishable, broken, is now raised imperishable. And what will that feel like? And what will that look like? Well, it's found in Revelation 21.4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more goodbyes, no more pain. The old order of things, what? Has passed away. Anyone want to say amen, by the way, to that this morning? So the question is, as we await for this amazing new heavens and new earth, as we have hope because Jesus was raised, we will be physically raised to new life with no sickness or death. Does God set anyone free in the now or do we just become Christians, deal with life, sing this home, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, suck it up, cross our fingers and hope for something better? No. In some cases, God will heal us 
And in other cases, he will not heal us, but the suffering becomes the place where our joy is grown and evangelism is actually, actually done because we show the world that our joy is not linked to what the rest of the world declares. Now, some of us have the gift of healing. It's bringing the future into the now for a moment. Now, before we get to the gift of healing and the complication of it, let's talk about all the confusion and pain around it. First, many of us who have done church or even not done church, there's all the fake stuff, the, what's streamed online or TV, the lights and the, the camera, but at the end when you interview the people, it's emotion, but there's no moment. And then there's so many of us being jaded in the opposite fashion and skeptical that we end up actually functioning like Christian atheists. We believe all this stuff, but we don't expect God to move. We see nothing. And when God does move in front of us, even as Christians, we're jaded and we dismiss it anyway. But if you move beyond the fake and you move beyond the scientific idolatry which has infected the modern worldview that says scientism has all answers, you are left with the possibility of divine action. But then some churches say, well, all that stuff happened back in Bible times. It doesn't happen anymore. And then the other side says, actually, everyone can be healed. All you need to do is by your stripes, you are healed. Claim it, claim it, claim it. Have enough faith. Pray more. Go to the altar more. And it is guaranteed every single time. Well, they're both sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. It's not never, and it's not always. To our frustration, it's sometimes. The answer is yes, if God decides to do it. See, with all the gifts we're going to talk about today, healing, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, they are all grounded in something called situational permission. We see this in the life of Jesus time and time again. Now notice, when Jesus healed people, he knew exactly what to do. He healed and delivered with authority. By the way, notice, he never prayed. He commanded. But he had already got permission from the Father to do it in the first place. So let me work this out. I'm going to be a little stereotypical. I was saved in a Baptist church, and then I grew up in this church. And when it came to healing, we were very uncomfortable with it, and we prayed prayers like this. Oh, God, maybe possibly if it's your will to heal the person, but we know you're not going to, but we won't say that out loud. But put, would you maybe pray, but I don't want to put you in a box because I want your will, so would you heal them in Jesus' name? It's not going to happen. Amen, but I'm not saying. I'm okay. No expectation. The opposite, if you grew up in a more charismatic or Pentecostal experience, is name and claim it, come to the altar. It's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Here's the problem with both camps. They destroy people. This camp has zero faith and no expectation because they're so afraid of setting up someone for failure. And this camp promises something that is not promised in the scriptures. And when the person is not healed over in this camp, this is the conclusion you must come to. What is wrong with this person's anyone? Faith. Oh, this person just didn't have enough faith if they had more faith. And suddenly, if you don't have enough faith and you don't get healed, well, what's wrong with your faith? Are you even a Christian? Does God love me? Maybe Satan's stronger. You feel like a second-class citizen, and we don't even ex expect God to show up till Jesus returns. Both of these are not an option, and both of these do not reflect the heart of Scripture. Now, as we walk this through, notice, again, Jesus, when he healed, never said to the Father, if it be your will. He took the authority God the Father had given him and acted on God's behalf sometimes. But remember all the way back to week one, Jesus did not use his divinity to heal. He used spiritual gifts. He's not just Savior and Lord. He's model. He got permission, and then he acted. Remember John 5, 19. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus. The Son can do nothing by himself. Wow. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. 
So Jesus as our model, we follow him through the gospels, we see him healing as he used the spiritual gift of healing, but he used the spiritual disciplines like solitude, silence, and prayer. And the impression as part of his prayer life with the father when he kept leaving to hang out with him was devoted to getting permission or authority to do the healing in those moments. And oh, by the way, if you read your whole Bible, which you should, John chapter 5 is so telling for us because Jesus goes to an environment where there's all these sick people, but he doesn't heal all of them. He only heals one of them. So did Jesus love this person more than the others? Oh, did God, hold on. See, this is about sovereignty, not about love. And here's the key, the power, uh, to, to the power of the gift of healing. It is tied to permission. So the question is, how do you get permission? Well, by spiritual disciplines of asking and listening. Lord, do you want me to pray? Or do you want me to command? Do I have your authority or do I not have your authority in this moment? See, the gift also is exercised in conjunction with words of knowledge, like we'll find out, and also gifts of faith. And it's best performed always in community. Now, one of the most shocking and most helpful passages to help us see this permission-based worldview that Jesus walked in is found in John 11. One of Jesus' closest friends on earth was a guy named Lazarus. And four days before he died, a group of people come to him and say, your best friend Lazarus is dying. So if you run, you can actually heal him in time. So the Jesus most of us picture in our head would go, no problem, I'm going to run to my best friend, I'm going to heal him. If you read the text, here's what Jesus did. He slowed down. He actually delayed. His friend is dying. Jesus has the gifts and the power of the Spirit to go heal his best friend. And does Jesus run to him? No, he actually lets him die. Is that the Jesus you worship? So he's walking along and healing all these other people and his best friend's dying and they're saying, come on. He's like, yeah, no. And he intentionally lets him die. Now why? Oh, because him and the father had already talked and Jesus had been told by the father to delay. And we see this in John eleven forty one. 41. So when he arrives, they take away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said these words. Everyone listening, father, Oh, I thank, that you've heard, thank you that you've heard me. I, I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might now believe you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus let his friend die and then brought him back to life. So all the people around him could have eternal life. But it was based on what? Permission. Now, if you have these gifts, then like Jesus, you need to learn the disciplines to spend time in prayer and fellowship with the Father to get instructions to line up your will with his will in situations or in moments. It doesn't mean you have to have a 40-day retreat before you do anything. You just need to be in the posture of listening. A friend of mine wrote this, Jesus prayed before he did deeds. But what he did during them should not be called prayer. This, if you've grown up in church, this is critical. We are to initiate or imitate, sorry, Jesus and take authority like Jesus did. When Jesus said, whoever believes in him will do what he did, I believe he meant to include the way he did the things in the what of that verse. Like him, we're not to ask God to do the work, but line up our will with his will, talk and talk not to the Father, but on his behalf, speak authoritatively to correct the situation. Here's what he's saying. Jesus already got permission. So when you're in the situation, if you've got the yes, declare it. So will God heal? Yes. Will he tell us? Yes. Will he deliver us? Possibly. Of course, it's granted. It's called the resurrection. Now, will he do it guaranteed in this life? Maybe. God's sovereignty, his will, his glory, and our willingness, willingness to listen matters so very much. 
So here's the first rule we learn of engagement when it comes to healing. If you have the yes and it's confirmed by community, don't pray, command. But if you don't have the yes from Jesus, pray and ask for his will. And if there is no healing, don't automatically think that you don't have enough faith. Say to the Lord, what are you now teaching me about suffering and brokenness? And how does, how does unnatural Christian joy, joy appear in this moment? Now, the word healing includes all types of illness, physical, emotional, mental. And we've identified here at C4, as we've read the scriptures, two sort of streams of healing that we want to talk about that we practice here. The first one has nothing to do with spiritual gifts at all. It's what we call office-based healing, and it's right out of the book of James. James 5, uh, 13. Is anyone in trouble? I'll let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is, any, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Now, the process here has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. It has to do with office-given authority. And one of the responsibilities of elders is to pray regularly over those who are sick. But most people don't read the whole passage. They especially don't like the section about, and if you've sinned, confess. See, the sick person is given the opportunity to consider. It's not saying it is. It is to consider whether the sickness you're experiencing is related to sin. Sometimes sickness can be the consequence of sinful behavior. It makes little sense to pray for physical healing when the spiritual violation that contributed to the problem goes unaddressed. Now, you, if you come to C4, have seen us do this many times. Our elders are in a rotation between all our sites, and at the end of a service, we'll simply read James 5 and say, is any among us sick today? No matter who you are, physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, physically, come forward, and the elders will be here. We do it just like communion or worship. We used to uh, have it sort of like you had to call in the office. We're like, no, let's just make it available to the people. But the passage says, you need to come to the elders. The elders don't come to you. You come to the elders and they pray. And here's the amazing thing. Over the last 10 years, we have multiple documents, documented cases of people being healed as they've been prayed for the elders, which is amazing. Even last night in my connect group, there was a woman who I've known basically since I was a teenager who was talking about how she was healed very specifically when the elders prayed for her. But that has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. Some of us, among us in our community, have the spiritual gift of healing and don't have any office. And I love how one person described this. The gift of healing is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to serve as human intermediaries through whom it pleases God to cure illness and restore health apart from the use of natural means. Here's some clues that might reveal or confirm you might have this gift or you might know someone who does. And this is, these clues are written by some other author, authors. You, have an ex, you experience a deep desire to see God alleviate physical problems in people. You have, you're, you're drawn to see them healed. You are willing to be used by God to do that very thing. And everyone else is running for the hills. They're afraid and you're like, no, let's go. You have an unusual ability maybe to sense the power of God when it's present for healing. Everyone else is like, this is a normal. And you're like, no, there's something here for this. You have the ability and almost like a faith-like ability to trust God and believe that he actually wants to heal in this scenario. You have a willingness to take risk for God. Now, if this is you, you either grow in this or you learn this. It's not about a show. It's not about being big or it's not always a dramatic display at all. It's about God healing people and the healing either authenticates who Jesus is and people come to faith in Jesus through the healing evangelistically and or people who already follow Jesus are healed and comforted. Now some with this spiritual gift speak of sensing heat 
or power in them or in their hands. And after they pray, it leaves. Now I heard this years ago and I was like, this was my answer to that when I heard this. I was like, that's new age, that's crazy, that's demonic, that's unbiblical, that's psychological. Well, after you walk with Jesus, you realize you have to do a lot of this after a while. Because as I was reading the gospels, I remember again that Jesus did a lot of weird things and described a lot of weird things. And this really came home to me in Mark 5 when it says a woman bleeding for years was so desperate that she touched Jesus' clothes and she was healed. And Jesus immediately noticed that power had left him and asked, who touched me? And if you know the context, there are hundreds or thousands of people around Jesus. Many people would have been touching Jesus, but she touched him in this way and he knew power drained out of him. Just to say again, we worship a weird God. Get used to it. It's going to get weirder. And so some people say this is what happens. So the next question you need to ask is, well, what's the role of faith when it comes to healing? I love when one person wrote this. It seems that in the exercise of the gift of healing, faith always plays a crucial role. However, this is critical, faith to be healed does not always originate with the person needing the healing, although in some cases in the New Testament it does. Sometimes the faith originates with the person doing the healing, Other times it appears as if it depends totally on God and not upon the person who's trying to do the healing or the person receiving healing. The phrase, and here's the phrase you're taking notes, the power of the Lord was present for healing occurs several times in the New Testament. And when the power of the Lord is present for healing, the quality of faith in the one being healed or the quality of faith in the one trying to heal is overshadowed just by the sovereign work of God. So does this mean that we should all just go for healing not, not go to doctors and refuse medication? No, of course not. It's never an either-or choice. If God says, by permission in community, declare, declare healing, then name it and claim it and do it. But that doesn't mean you automatically go off all your medical help. If you have mental illness, I've seen this time and time again, you don't go off all your medicine and say, well, God's just gonna heal me. Slow down, follow process, and see what God is actually doing. Now, can God bring healing through natural means? Of course he can. Of course he can. Can God use the spiritual gift of healing? Yes, he can. Can God use the office of elder? Of course he can. But he does not always. So here's the question. As I describe this gift, is this you? Do you think you have the gift of healing? Do you want the gift of healing? Now, we come to words of knowledge and words of wisdom. There are those that hold this. There are two gifts. Others believe there are actually two aspects of one gift. I sort of lean that way. But the language in front of them really helps us. Now, the churches I grew up in, when we talked about this very rarely, this is how we would make this non-charismatic and really safe. If you had words of wisdom, you were a really wise person. You were, you were wise, you know, you salt and pepper hair and a long beard, and you are sage in the faith and told us what to do. And if you had words of knowledge, you were a good theologian and you knew the Bible really well. Well, the problem with that is, number one, that's not what the passage says. And number two, those are descriptions of people or other gifts, like the gift of teaching. So the question we need to ask is, what does it mean to have a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge? Well, first of all, you need to understand they are power gifts, they're situational, and they're supernatural. One person wrote this, the use of the Greek word logos prefacing wisdom and and knowledge in the original language suggests these gifts are situational communications given by the Holy Spirit in the moment. Thus, we're not talking about people who are knowledgeable about the Bible or know a lot about God, but they're talking about a word that comes from God as wisdom or knowledge for a specific certain situation. Now, the key in understanding this gift is, is its function. 
It functions very much like prophecy, but it's not done in community settings, and it's usually one-on-one. Like we learned last week, prophecy is when the Spirit of God uses an individual to speak to a whole church about a direction or a thing. It can be foretelling or forthtelling. This is going to happen, or I need to say this right now, but it's always done in community for the community. Words of knowledge tend to be one-on-one. They're situational, prompting-based power gift, but it's, it's not another lecture. It's not a sermon. It's not a small group, and it's not a prophecy. It's directed. Now, how do those two words, knowledge and wisdom, describe this gift? Well, first, these two gifts are dynamic and situational. And the thing that we all need to learn if you've got these is this. You don't have a spiritual switch in your head that you go, I'm now turning on gifts of knowledge now. Come tonight because I'm going to give you words of wisdom. It doesn't work that way. Lots of people think it works that way, but it doesn't because what you need to understand is the Holy Spirit is the one giving you the knowledge and the wisdom and sovereignly, if he has nothing to give you, you've got nothing to what? Give. So actually these gifts are very situational and as the Holy Spirit prompts someone, then they can be used, but you won't be on in every situation. Now words of knowledge function when God gives you, listen in, information about someone you have no direct access to in any other way. And the right exercise of this gift and the information God gives always humbles the person, helps the person. It never humiliates the person. It can bring healing to others, but it never hurts them. So words of knowledge are similar to prophecy. They're directed to individuals and it is information-based. Here's how we discovered this gift in this church. Years ago when I was the youth pastor here, I ran the prayer team for a thing called Snowflake, which was a retreat that we used to run in Niagara Falls and in Muskoka Woods. It's now called Strive. And so we had between 11 and 13, 1400 students coming at its height. And so I thought we should pray over a retreat. No one was. I thought this was a bad thing. I didn't know much about it. I thought the Bible said we should, so we did. So I got as many weird people as I knew in our church that prayed that scared me into a room and said, let's all go pray for these teenagers. So we showed up in Niagara Falls and we had 1,100 to 1,400 names. And we were praying over every one of them. Remember I talked about intercession, how I hate the list? It was my favorite day, not at all. So we prayed for 1,400 names, but this is what started happening. Remember, C4 has no charismatic history, we, we, nothing. We're praying through the list. I'm just gonna make up a name. And we came to a name called Jessica. This happened time and time again. And Jessica was from a church in Guelph I didn't even know about. And when I'm praying for her, our group is praying, we all heard the word suicide and we were like, And it happened again and again, and we did not know what to do. So we made a decision that we would pull out sticky notes. I'll never forget them. Purple, green, yellow sticky notes. And what we did is we wrote the name of the student, just the first name, and the church they came from, and we wrote what we had heard and didn't know what to call on the back of the sticky note and went over and called it the wall of sticky notes and put it on. And we prayed and said, I don't know what this is. Is this God, Satan, tacos? I have no clue, but Lord have mercy on Jessica. And I don't know. So we waited. And every year this started happening. So students would come into the prayer room just to pray and they'd walk in and we'd be available and Jessica would walk in. She'd say, hey, my name's Jessica. I'm like, oh, my name's John. I'd say, oh, by the way, just a question. Are you from Guelph? She'd be like, yes. I'd say, could you just, could you just come over to this wall of sticky notes? She's like, sure. She, and I would just go, and we'd all do this. Say, I, I don't want to say anything over you and I could be dead wrong. I'm just wondering, are you struggling with suicide? Boom, starts crying. How did I know that? I didn't know that. But you see what, it's knowledge, it's information that you have no access to that what brings hope, healing, or humility. And what was so powerful is hundreds of teenagers over years knew God was real, 
because God had spoken to strangers and given them exact information that got them freedom. And it's such a profound gift when it is used well. Words of wisdom are incredibly similar, but they have a different focus. As one wrote, the gift, the words of wisdom in action is when God gives a situational word or message acutely applicable to a moment that provides insight for people into next steps of their spiritual journey. These are the practical instructions. Go to this place, read this book, read this part of the Bible. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And in this case, every time it's supernatural, it's situational, and you'll know it's from Jesus' lips. So if you have this gift, this is what happens to you all the time, all the time. You're sitting with people and suddenly a verse will pop into your head or an image will pop into your head or you just hear, this person needs to read John chapter 15. And you're like, I just, I don't understand, but I think you need to do this next in your spiritual life. And time and time again, patterned, people will come back and say, I I don't know how you knew that, but that is exactly the next step I needed to take in my walk. And it's done this, this, and this. One is about information, one is about wisdom, but they both are supernatural. One gives you the what, the other other gives you the when or where. And the gift helps people understand what has happened that needs to be dealt with or, or the way God is instructing. It helps other people know the when or where, what you need to do next. Now, another person wrote this. If you have this gift, here could be some of your experiences. In your mind's eye, a person with this gift might see like words written like on a newspaper headline in their mind or like a ticker tape. You might hear an inner voice, God speaking to you and say, deal with this issue. You might actually see a sin or a situation that needs to be confronted. I remember years ago, this happened to me where I was praying with someone and the Lord, they were asking for prayer and, and the Lord said, well, they're having an affair on their wife. And I, and I said, you know, do you want me to pray? He said, yes. I said, you don't want me to pray. He said, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. I said, fine, you're having an affair on your wife. Go and repent. And he was like, and I was like. <laughs> and then amazingly, he went home and repented and now loves Jesus and his marriage is great. Now, I'm not the oracle of, you know, like, you know, a, a spirit, I'm just a guy who suddenly the Lord told, but do you see how it could be terribly misused? Now, the gift may allow a person to see visions or dreams uh, in this. Uh, People that have words of knowledge also sometimes know when people are sick before they mention it and might know actually what they're struggling with sickness-wise or might even feel where it is in their body. People of words of knowledge might say, you, you know, I've never met you. You have bronchitis and it's in your lungs. And then the person with the gift of healing says, yeah, I confirm that. Let's pray for healing. So you work in a tag team. The key idea is that this knowledge or wisdom helps release the activity of God into a situation. And much of the time, these gifts are used in conjunction with other gifts. In the case of dealing with the demonic, the gift of discernment says evil is present. Words of knowledge can tell you how the demon got in. Uh, People with the gift of healing can work with people with gifts of faith and words of knowledge because they actually can tell you what's going on. And then the person with healing can pray for the healing if they've got the yes. They can be used to expose secrets in people's lives. They can bring healing. They can let know God is there. Now, again, it's so incredibly important that we understand uh, the, the, the power of this. It was a few years ago uh, during a real moment of renewal in our church that Dave and I, Pastor Dave and I, were actually sitting in this auditorium over here, and there was a woman sitting over here. I'm not pointing at you, by the way. All is good. Um, and, and so um, there was a woman here, and the Holy Spirit said to us, go pray for this young woman. 
uh, we both had the same prompting. We went over and, and we said, may we pray with you? She said, yes. Do you notice that, by the way, may we pray with you? Yes. We got on our knees. May we put our hands on you? Yes. And right when it happened, this image in my mind of, of her, she was sitting in a bedroom. I, I almost want to say in a basement. And she was in her bed and her Bible was open and she was reading the Bible and singing to God. And on the corner of bed, Jesus was looking at her. And it was a really profound, so I said to her, I, again, I, I'm so sorry, this is a little weird for me, uh, do you do your devotions in your bedroom? And she was like, yes. And I'm like, and do you actually read your Bible in your bed? She's like, that's creepy, yes. I said, okay. Um, I said, do you sing to Jesus in your bedroom? She's like, yes. And Dave and I will never forget it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, tell her that Jesus is in the room. And tell her Jesus hears every prayer and everything she's doing, he hears. So I just said to her, I repeated it, and she just started weeping, not from up here, from down here, and she started almost yelling out, I thought he had left me. I thought he didn't hear me anymore. I thought he had abandoned me. In that moment, she knew that Jesus had not left her. Because actually, these gifts are to demonstrate what? The power and the presence of a loving Savior in the room. But don't forget permission. This is what we want to continually teach all of you, especially with power gifts. So it's fine that you see things or God is giving you things, but stop and ask God, why have you told me this? Am I to pray? Am I to consult with leaders? Are you asking me to ask? Just because you know or are gifted doesn't mean you even own what you're given. Remember, you're not intuiting this. God is telling you this. So when you have revelation like this, think about Jesus and his will and his work. Not your ego, not your identity, not your fame, or not your personal agenda. It's about God's glory. It's about people rediscovering that Jesus still loves them and seeing them released into a dark world so they can keep going. And never forget that these gifts can be imitated by the other side. This gift can be counterfeited. Lots of people have gifts of healing and wisdom and knowledge that are from the other side and function very similar. So remember, don't forget about the plug. Where does it come from? The practice of these gifts needs to be saturated with humility and eagerness to listen to God and submit to community. And when you're given a special kind of knowledge or you think you're called to heal or you're given wisdom, respond prayerfully, stop, drop, and roll. Lord, I acknowledge you're the source of all of this. I'm eager to understand why you've shown me this. What do you want me to do? Now, these are amazing gifts and difficult gifts. But I want to end um, in a little different way. Um, of course, we're going to do what we do uh, at the end of every one in, uh, of these um, sermons. Uh, at the end of the service, when it's done, we're going to have elders and pastors and staff up here. And if you have the gift of healing, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, and, and, or you'd like it, you can come forward and we can pray for you and see if the Lord wants to give it to you. He might say no, or pray over the gifts that are there. And again, if you've not come forward for all the other gifts, and I'll just read them again, administration helps, mercy, giving, teaching, exhortation, apostleship, leadership, shepherding, evangelism, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, intercession, faith, discernment, then you should still come forward. And we want to pray over you. But what I want to address is this. As I was praying this week, about our community, the, the strong sense I had was we need to pray over the gifts like we do every week, but there was another set of prayers that need to take place. And it's this. Many of you need to come forward for prayer uh, because you've been hurt. And pain and unbelief are two things that quench the spirit and destroy churches. So some of you need to come forward for prayer because you have been in other churches or this church and you've been hurt. 
because people have tried doing the healing thing and they did it wrong. And so because you've been hurt, you're very jaded, very skeptical, or you're, and you need to come forward and you need to say, you know what, I'm really bitter, or I'm really angry, or I'm really scared because that person or that situation, and I want to just ask forgiveness for being bitter and I want to forgive the person and just start there. Others of you need to repent of unbelief. And this is the bigger one. And you know that this church, we believe in thinking. We are not anti-intellectual in this church. We're not anti-science in this church. That's, that's none of it. But many of you, this is your reaction in your heart when it comes to all the weird stuff. No. No. Prove it, then I'll believe. Oh, excuse me. God has revealed it in his word. You repent, then believe. So some of you need to come forward and say, I have been jaded and skeptical and not open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I'm not saying you're going to get the gift of healing. It's actually an attitude that infects your spiritual life. You think right. You're a Christian. You do believe in heaven and Jesus is coming back, sort of. But all this other stuff, you're out. No, 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 no. So some of you need to come forward and say this. And you need to admit it to a leader. I'm an, I have an ego. I'm prideful. I have unbelief. And I need to pray the prayer I find in the scriptures. Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Others of you need to come forward and, and confess that you've misused the gifts. Or you've been in another church and you, you weren't kind or you weren't respectful or you weren't loving in the way you did it. Or, or you said to people, you know, you don't have enough faith. And if you had more faith, you would be healed. And you need to go, I've damaged people. Because what we need to ask God to do in our community, as we're about to step forward... <laughs> in the most profound of ways, genuinely in this church. We need bitterness and unbelief and unforgiveness to get unrooted so the Holy Spirit will not be grieved among us. And a lot of the unbelief and bitterness in churches is because people with right intentions do things wrong. Make sense? So some of you need to humble yourselves. Some of you need to realize actually it's your issue and it wasn't the church's issue. But you just need to come before it and say, could we pray for healing? Could we pray for forgiveness? Could we pray that bitterness gets out of me? Could you pray that I have more faith, that I'm not so jaded and skeptical? And then if you've got the other gifts, come forward and pray for them too. Why are we saying this? Because like I just shared, and I end with this, the more the Holy Spirit is not grieved in our church, the more present he will be among us. The more the Holy Spirit is not grieved, the greater power will be released. The more the Holy Spirit is present among us, the more Jesus will be seen. The more the Holy Spirit is among us, guess what? The more attractive we'll be to a non-Christian world. So this isn't just about you and your story. It's about us and our story in this moment, but actually what God is asking us to do. And I just want to say to you watching online from other churches, because I know some of you are, uh, this goes for you too. That whether you're by yourself or in community, you need to go back, especially if some of you are pastors who are watching right now, and you need to go before the Lord without fear to our common master and say to him either sorry, forgive me, or change me. Because your whole church depends on this. You're the lid to your community. So take this just as seriously. So could we stand uh, across all, all our sites, uh, across our whole beautiful big community, and let's just pray. Number one, Lord, thank you for the moment, and thank you that we're not alone. <laughs> We pray, uh, we pray this every week. Thanks for not orphans. Thanks that, um, yeah, that you've given us the Holy Spirit and that we have comfort and we have life and we know the resurrection is true. And thank you that every person that loves Jesus and follows him will be healed. We claim it in the resurrection. 
Thank you that death doesn't win. But also, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, now you'd come in great power and that those with healing and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, they'd know it's them. Uh, For those who maybe thought they had prophecy last week, but they've realized it's knowledge or wisdom, help them to come forward. And we pray for powerful moments of prayer where people are affirmed and, and actually greater power is released. We pray for others. Holy Spirit, would you now just wash through our community and show people where there's pain, where there's bitterness, where there's unbelief, and unroot it, heal it, uh, so we can be freer. Lord, come close. I'm actually asking you, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit in a very uncomfortable way right now so we can't escape you or avoid you or ignore you. Come do this beautiful surgery work in some and empowerment for others. Uh, We ask this in the name of Jesus, who's good, kind, loving, and always has his best for us. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.